Padres come out and play. Episode of the Deep Fire Podcast. As always, my name is Javier. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at OMFG. It's Hav. Once again, that is OMFG. It's J A V. I have my friend Daniel back with me today. We're continuing on our trek of ranking our top five players at each position. Now, last week we went ahead and ranked our top five starting pitchers. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and listen to it. This week, we have a pretty fun episode. Both Daniel and I have a very different philosophy on what we like to see out of a starting catcher. If you guys agree with it at the end of the episode, let us know on Instagram and Twitter. If you don't, let us know as well. Happy to have a happy discussion. And yeah, hope you guys enjoy the show. All right, everybody. And like I said, we have my friend Daniel back with us again. Daniel, welcome back, man. Last time around, we went through and we ranked our top five starting pitchers in the game at the moment. Today, we're going to go into our top five starting catchers. But before we get into that, Daniel, last time around was the first time first time you ever recorded anything in your life, I believe. And what was that experience like listening to the episode? Yeah, I definitely was excited. You know. Um one thing was hard for me was getting used to one, hearing my voice and hearing that's exactly how I sound. And two was critiquing on the things I said. You know, I found myself saying a certain word over and over again. And it was something that I just kind of wanted to work on was making sure I didn't keep using the same repetitive words, you know. But outside of that, I mean, from beginning of the episode to the end of the episode, you know, I had a smile on my face and it was I had fun. I had fun. What's not to have fun? Yeah, totally, man. Anytime you talk baseball, talk baseball with a homie and, and just have fun doing it, right? Absolutely. All right, guys. Um, so, like I said, we're going to go through our starting catcher. This one was kind of hard for me, to be honest, because it depends. You can rank your your catchers a lot of different ways, depending on what you prioritize as a person. And Dan and I kicked off this episode last time around where we just had a little pre-conversation about what we're going to do. And Daniel said that he really looks for catchers who can hit, whereas myself, I'm like, I don't really really care if my catcher hits. Can they be in control of the pitching staff and can they be great defensively? I think it's the most important role on the field. Taking that conversation and really going into the week and the weekend, I I have a lot of difficulties. I had a lot of difficulties with this list. I have two people who similar to last time around, they're X Factor, so they're gonna they're not on my list, but they're people that I'm excited to see. But then my actual list is gonna be a little bit more a little more boring, I think. It's gonna be a little more consistent to what's out there, but I'm just gonna try to provide some color as to why I rank them where they rank them. So what about you? How'd you go about your list? Yeah, I mean obviously we had this conversation about power hitting catchers. And uh it's not something normal that we see. 
I think theoretically, the way MLB has positioned itself is you want a catcher who can handle the pitching staff, who knows how to frame, and who could get out on base. You know, most of the time we see these catchers batting eighth, seventh. I believe when Madden was in Chicago, he had Contreras batting ninth at times because he had the pitcher at eighth spot. So, you know, it all, it all, I guess, defers a matter of opinion, like we said. For me, I've always been big on a catcher that could hit. That's just, I've always been that way. I don't know why, but obviously it's not normal. And, and obviously, that would keep, like we talked about prior, we have guys that come in and they hit a certain amount of batting average, and that's what's normal, the new normal. You know, back in the day, we, we'd talk about guys that would come in, they're great hitters at 330, 320, 340. And it's funny because I'm looking at this list of catchers, and I was as I was making this list, I saw a lot of guys' batting average, and they're all kind of in that same generic area, you know? Not yeah. monstrous hitters. Around 240, so, 260, like 230, 240. Yeah, that's what I saw too. Yeah, but then there's, but then there's other areas areas within hitting where I think they excel. But I think the overall, like, catchers just unfortunately just don't hit for average very much or very often. That's why, like, your Joe Ma- Mowers back in the day, right, when he won the Triple Crown, why that was so huge was because it was a power-hitting, defensively-minded catcher. And it was something that right. you don't you don't really see or haven't seen in a long time. So, okay, so I'm gonna start off my top five list with my number five guy. And my number five guy actually did not play a single game in 2019, but he is an elite catcher. When you talk about an elite player, it's Salvador Perez, catcher for the Kansas City Royals. He actually went down for TJ, so TJ surgery, Tommy John. You don't really hear a lot of a lot of position players going down for Tommy John, but being a catcher, the angle that they have to throw the ball, it's a lot of pressure on your elbow, so which is why I could totally see him going down for Tommy John. But he's going to be back. If you guys have seen recently, recently follow his Instagram. He's starting to get some workouts in, and the dude looks good. The, he still looks like the same Salvador Perez of old. He is a six-time All-Star, have has won five gold gloves. He's won Silver Slugger twice in his career. And he was a World Series MVP in 2015 when they won the World Series. So the guy's elite. He has a defensive war of 13. So that's tied for 10th place currently among all active players, not just catchers. Um, so for me, him coming back in 2018, or his, sorry, his career stats sit like this. He has 266 career batting average, 297 on-base percentage, 442 slugging, and has a 739 OPS. So overall, the dude for me, he is literally like the anchor for the Kansas City Royals going into that World Series and even after, right? He's one of the best players, if not the best player on their team. And for him to go down and get hurt, you could really feel that with the Kansas City Royals and how that team adjusted and played. So in my opinion, he's going to come back. He's going to be healthy. The extended offseason that we are seeing right now with the whole coronavirus thing going on, I think it's definitely going to be in his benefit to come back and come back 100%. So for me, my number five, like I said, someone who didn't even play at all last year, but just based on what he's done, he's going to be a top five player for sure. Number five for me is Wilson Contreras, the catcher for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Last year, he put up a 3.1 war. Batting average was 272, 24 homers, 57 runs, 64 RBIs, and he had a 355 on base percentage, which is 
pretty decent if you look at it in regards to catchers. Two stats that I took out that I wanted to look at here for catchers was a walk rate and a strikeout rate. Wilson Contreras, he played only 105 games past season, dealt with some injuries. The issue that Wilson has going for him is the Cubs show that they like the backup, Victor Carantini. They used him a lot. When Wilson became healthy, still affected the play time that he had because they, they kept going to uh, Carantini. One thing Carantini had the leg up on Wilson is his framing and his defense. <laughs> Wilson's not a slouch when it comes to having that arm, but Carantini does know how to frame a little bit better. He's shown that he's the better defensive catcher for the Cubs. It is going to be interesting. I don't know, kind of, Cubs kind of fell off, but, you know, they still have the good foundation on that team with Rizzo and, and Baez and Bryant and, you know, Contreras, Schwarber. They went out, got Steven Sousa this past um, off season. So it, it really just depends what kind of, what can they produce this season? You know, what kind of Wilson Contreras is going to come out? It might be interesting to see if he might even be on a trade block coming into this season, if there is going to be a trade deadline. You know, we don't know how this season is going to do, how many games we're going to go into, what the plan is. I know ESPN had been talking about potentially playing games in Arizona. Then they talked about playing games in Japan. We have no idea exactly what we have in store, how many games we have in store for us. So it is going to be interesting what happens with Wilson. He is under team control. He's got the ability to go on arbitration next season, but it is going to be interesting to see if they continue with him or if they're going to go defensively with Carantini and see what kind of package they can get back for Wilson. Because it, it, we have seen in the past that, I mean, the Cubs have talked about moving Chris Bryant just because of the money. So um, it is going to be interesting to see exactly what the game plan is. Obviously, I don't think that whole team is going to end up intact by the end of the season. I think someone is going to be on the move, whether it's Bryant, um, or Contreras or any of the other guys that are on that team that might have movable contracts. But for number five, Contreras is on my list. Um, for a catcher, he had great numbers, decent numbers. Um, he had a 9.3 walk ratio and a 23.6 strikeout ratio. So if you look at it, he strikes out about a quarter of the time he gets up there, which isn't that great. 9.3 walk percent, you know, that's, Actually, based on the list I have here, that's actually quite high for a lot of catchers. So um, he does see pitches. He likes to see, but he does swing. His swing rate is a lot higher than most. So Wilson Contreras is my number five. So I actually kept coming back to Wilson Contreras through it when I was debating my list and really going back and forth and looking at a lot of different things. Wilson Contreras, to me, he is definitely up there in terms of when I think of who's, when I think of catchers who just come to mind, he's definitely up there. He's one of the first people that I was like, oh, I gotta look into this guy and just see if what my perception of the, of him is what is actually true. Uh, like you said, he, uh, 272 batting average. You know, he had 355 OP, uh, on base percentage, slugging 533 OPS of 888 last year. But really what stuck to me when I think about a catcher and I was thinking about it from, I was thinking about it holistically, right? And he actually led the National League in errors as a catcher in 2017, 2018, and 2019. So most errors by any catcher in the last three years. So for me, that was something that also 
didn't really sit well. When I think about like my top five, I want them to be really all the way around, right? One of the reasons why Austin Hedges is not on my top five. He's great defensively, but just can't hit. And if I'm going to hold, hold that against somebody one way, I have to look at the other way around. So for me, he's not on my list, but somebody that I did go to and, and really just say, okay, no. But my number four, this guy had a coming out party last year. He's been in the league since 2014. Came up at 25, so a little later in his career. It is going to be Roberto Perez of the Cleveland Indians. Looking at Roberto Perez, like I said, he had a coming out party last year. He won a gold glove, led the American League in in runners caught stealing percentage at a 40.8, which was second in the MLB, second only to Real Muto. To lead that category, I think for me, was huge. So made a lot of adjustments and, and really kind of, like I said, had a coming out party. When I look at the games, the amount of games that he played, his entire career, he ne- he's never played over 70 games. Sorry, in 2017, he played 73 games. But aside from that, that was the highest he's ever played. Last year, he played 120 games, more than most actual catchers out there that are on my list. Now, So now he's proven that he's durable. And on top of that, too, when you look at his, his overall batting average and his just batting stats, it's not horrible. Not the best, but not horrible. So he's he had a two thirty nine batting average. He had an on-base percentage of three twenty one. He had a slugging percentage of four fifty two, and he had an overall OPS plus of seven seventy four. So are these numbers? Do they pop out and make him the best catcher of all? Definitely not. But really, kind of seeing what the, the type of year he had last year, he was giving a higher workload and he performed at a high level in, on the defensive side and above average or a, above average compared to catchers on the office, offensive side. So Robert, Roberto Perez, he is my number five. Still has two years on the contract. I believe he's going to hit arbitration next year or this year. So that's actually kind of good for him. So he's hitting arbitration or coming out of arbitration, going to become a free agent after this year. And if he has whatever 2020, whatever type of 2020 season that we have this year, if he has a solid one, he might go after some decent money. Three-year contract, you know, worth 25, 35 mil. Yeah, it's interesting that you went with Roberto Perez. <clears throat> Before we started this, what I actually did is I kind of went to all, like, the MLB.com fantasy site, ESPN Fantasy, and I think it was, like, Yahoo Sports Fantasy. I think they are, they do their own thing, too. He had a great year in regards to what he's what we normally see him do. And what was odd was he wasn't on this list. You know, he was out of the top 10 at least. I, I just kind of browsed through the top 10. I really didn't go into detail as why they're there or anything like that. But obviously, in regards to fantasy, fantasy could give too about defensive stats. You know, of course, we're not going to see guys that are great framers, guys that, you know, are, are saving runs by throwing guys out. You know, we're not going to see those type of guys on this list. Obviously, that's not a stat for fantasy. I do like Roberto Perez. Um, he has something in common with the guy that I chose at number four, and that was Christian Vasquez. Both of them never played full seasons up until this point, and now that they've played their full season, they basically showed what they're capable of doing. The trick here, I guess, for both of them is that a pure anomaly. Is it a one-time deal? You know, are we going to be able to get the same production that they're able to get? With Roberto Perez, he has good defensive skills, and his issue was his bat was never there. 
And with Christian Vasquez, I believe it's the same thing. He always was a great defensive-minded catcher. He just never had a bat. So going through Christian Vasquez, he got a 2.3 war, 276 batting average. He had 23 home runs, 66 runs, and 72 RBIs. 320 on base percentage. He walked about 6.3% of the time, and his K rate was 19.4%. I don't know how much of what we're going to get in regards to Christian Vasquez, if we're going to be able to get the same kind of season he produced, but he had a monster season for Boston. Boston didn't do much outside of, you know, they won the World Series in 2018 and 2019. They were, I don't think they were ever going to get into the playoffs again based on the season they had in 2019. But he's got a lot of good things going for him. He's probably one of the few catchers on my list that has that great defensive catcher attribute. There's a lot of guys that at the catcher position that are trying to be monstrous hitters. Gary Sanchez, Yasmani Grandal, they hit 30 or more or close to 30 home runs. Those are those guys. Um, Yaz is, Yasmani's a great defensive catcher. He's always been a great framer. When he was in San Diego, that was one thing the Dodgers liked when they traded for him. Outside of, outside of Yaz and, and Hedges, you know, that list of good defensive catchers, there's not a lot of them that produce runs. You know, Yaz is probably the only one up there. I know Hedges is up there, but like we said, he's had difficulties with his bat. So for me, Christian Vasquez is kind of going to be that guy that I just, I'm interested in seeing what we can get out of him. I'm interested in seeing this season when we come into it, what he could do. It helps him playing in Boston. He's a right-handed hitter who pulls. So it helps that he has the green monster. It helps that he plays in New York. And it's just a matter of seeing if he could replicate what he did. So it's, it's fun to have these guys on our list just because they're not household names right now, I don't think. But it's interesting to see if they could become household names, you know, and not to sit here and take credit and say, oh, I discovered you, but to know, hey, you know, I had an eye on that guy. Maybe if it's not this year or maybe it's in two years, you know, we can look back and say, you know what, I do remember talking about him. I do remember having his name in my mouth at one point. Yeah, so that was your number four, right? Four. Four, Christian Vasquez. Funny enough, man, I actually have him as my number three. So nice. So we're on the same page so far. Maybe you can argue higher or lower, but he's my number three. Okay, so we talked about Roberto Perez winning the gold glove last season. And just the amount of the presence that he has behind the plate. And like I said, the coming out party really have really played the most games in his career, just did consistently well. He won a gold glove and he just outperformed everybody. But even though he won the gold glove, Christian Vasquez actually what beat him in most defensive categories. He was number one in defensive uh, fielding percentage at a point nine nine nine. Um, so he was first in that. He was first in catcher assists at seventy one, and was third in putouts. Anyway, I'm kind of talking all over the place. I don't want to talk about things you already talked about because I don't want to sound repetitive. But once again, defensively minded, did really well. What really swung it for me, him being number three and Roberto being number four, was that Christian just overall had the better bat batting presence. So 276, he had a 320 on base percentage, 477 slugging with a 798 OPS. So overall, the dude had a much better year at the plate and 
arguably behind the plate. But once again, the gold glove was still given to Roberto, which is fine, and I'm okay with it. At the end of the day, uh, I think they could be one and the same. You can you can make an argument for both being one higher than the other, but Christian Vasquez is my number three. Yeah, and and absolutely too. And going to batting average, a two seventy six batting average is funny because I, I I thought we talked about this maybe last episode or maybe one of our conversations in between. You know, a two seventy six nowadays the type of baseball we're in now. I mean, that's a great batting average, really. And it's sad because that's where we're at with it, but that's just the reality. I mean, you got guys, you know, when Mickey won his triple crown, he batted, what, like something 340 or some ridiculous number like that. And I just don't think we're ever going to see those type of numbers again. I mean, it's going to be hard to kind of replicate a guy coming in and batting a 350 or 350 plus just because the type of baseball I think we're in. um, We're in a position where we want the game to be more exciting. We want the guys to go hard or go home, swinging out balls. It's difficult. We don't see a lot of guys bunt like they used to, playing small ball like they used to. We're all about shifts, you know, and it's funny because guys that shift, you know, I was watching a highlight video of uh, Joey Gallo and Blake Snell were playing uh, MLB The Show or something, and they were talking to each other while they were playing, and and Joey or Blake told Joey something about, we shifted on you and you bunted. And I thought it was the most like saddest thing to see was Joey Gallo bunt on me. And then the next time I went up and the next time we had that bat, I pitched to you and you raked the ball and you went yard on me. And that he goes, and I almost felt okay with it because I was used to that. And I was okay with you hitting a bomb off of me. Then I was okay with you bunting up. So it's just funny because we're not in that game anymore. You know, we're not in that game of guys bunning. We're not in that game of small ball. You know, we're not in the singles game anymore. It's either a double or a homer or a strikeout, it seems like. So that 276 batting average, I think, is something to just kind of look back and say, man, that's a decent year. Yeah, good year. You know, it's something to be proud of. Yeah, honestly, I think he had the, at least for the people on my list, I think he had the best batting average out of all the five catchers that I'm going to mention. So, for me, I think that 276 for the catcher position, and I think we talked about this too. If, in my opinion, or at least from what I know, even if catchers come up in their career early and they're known as these guys who rake and hit bombs and hit for power, that goes away and that goes away rapidly. It's not like a slow regression. It kind of just happens, right? Like with, with the catcher position. And there's a lot of arguments of as to why it could happen and they're always on their knees. So, they lose a lot of power because of their, the workload that they have to do behind the plate. For someone that can hit for average behind a catch position, even if it's 276, nowhere near 300, I, I thought was really cool. And like I said, for me, why why it was the separator between four and three. So for number three on my list, I have someone that you already went through, and that's Salvador Perez. He, you know, you kind of touched on him having the UCL injury and going down with Tommy John. In 2018, he had a 235 batting average, which is horrible. <laughs> that is, you know, a low batting average. But he did have career highs in home runs and RBIs. And that was 27 home runs, 52 runs, 80 RBIs. On base percentage could have could have needed some help there. 274. His walk ratio was 3.1, but his K rate was 19.9, which is fairly decent, you know, less than a quarter of a time. But that 235 is something kind of to look at, kind of to see, you know, are we going to get the same Salvi? 
one thing you know we touched on in the last episode with starting pitchers was these guys go down with Tommy with Tommy John surgeries and they come back and some of them are throwing even harder. Some of them are throwing them the ball coming in. You know that that cut is coming a little bit harder. You know a little bit slicker. Um, the speed's there, or if not better. He's never had an issue defensively. He's always been a great defensive catcher, being able to frame, being able to throw a guy out. It helps and harms him that the guy is six four. We don't normally see that type of height at the catcher position. I think Christian Vasquez is five nine. So that kind of tells you the difference there in regards to height wise. So it is gonna be interesting to see if we if we see Salvi you know, kind of move into a different position coming up in a, in a year or two. Um, this past season, they had another catcher. I don't even have the name on top of my head. I don't even know what he produced, but he was their starting catcher. So it is going to be interesting to see if that DH position, you know, they got guys like Jorge Soler, who's been DH, but he also plays outfield. You got Hunter Dozier, who plays first, but also plays third. So we could see him move to, to first base. We could see him move to DH, but yeah, it's not something that's far-fetched. So he, I believe he played 30, 20 games at first base in 2018. And right. he also, I think he DH'd for almost the same amount of games. So he didn't catch a whole lot. So I think that's eventually what's going to happen. They're going to start transitioning him out, transitioning him out of the catcher role. Like I said, I think for me, he could have been a lot, lot higher on this list if he just didn't go down with TJ. You know what I mean? Um, that's why I placed him at number five. Is he overall, if you just look at his career numbers, is better than Roberto and Christian? Totally. But, right. but, but like I said, just with the injury, like I said, it's just someone I'm excited to see and let's see what he does after the TJ. And yeah, I cut, I cut you off. So go ahead and keep going if you have anything else to say. No, I just, you know, the last kind of point I wanted to touch here was, you know, Salvador is going to hit 30 this year. It is going to be interesting to see the transition of Salvador, what kind of Salvador we're going to get with the bat. I mean, having the pop, the ability to have RBIs, I don't necessarily believe the Royals are going to be giving that, you know, central division any kind of competition, but that is going to be at least one of the highlights to their season coming up is just to see what kind of salvi we get and just, you know, it's something to look out for, something to see and something to kind of, you know, get excited. There's all, there's always, you know, we also talked about this a while ago was, um, every all-star team, every all-star game, there's always, they always got to get one player, right? From every team. Yeah. You know, there's those teams that come in, they get six or seven players, but we always see, you know, I, the Dodgers have been in that position where it was only one player or two players and the Padres have had seasons where it's only been the one guy. And, um, I think with Kansas City, it's always, <laughs> With Kansas City, it's always been Salvi. For a long time, it was always Salvi. You know, they had the World Series year, but Salvi came up in 2011 at 21 years old. And he's been in the league going on, what, season nine. If he was there last year, this would have been his 10th season. So he is kind of a seasoned vet, you know, in regards to it, but he's still only 29 years old. So he's going to be fun to watch just to see what kind of salvi we can get. It's always fun seeing a catcher uh, throwing out guys at first, throwing out guys at second. That's always a great highlight to see, you know, seeing Yadier do it. However old Yadier is, you know, we don't know when the last time he's going to finally put those, those shoelaces up, but it's always fun seeing a guy get thrown out at second, even a guy getting thrown out, you know, back door at first. So. Yeah. I almost prefer to see a back door 
than a second because the back door is like always a surprise <laughs> and it always leaves the cat like the yeah, runner exactly. surprise. So that's always fun. All right. So my number two and my number one, I have, I'm a bigger fan of one versus the other, but my number two is the one I'm most a fan of and that's Yasmani Gardenal. To me, he led the league in putouts as a catcher for the past three seasons. He's durable. He played the most games as a catcher the past, uh, as a catcher the past two seasons in the league, sorry, in his league, in the NL. And now he's transitioning to the AL. He hit 246. He had a 380 on base percentage, 468 slugging, and then had an OPS of 848, which is the highest, the highest out of any catcher on this list. He's on a new team. Nice contract for him. He deserves that contract. He's going to be around young people with some vets, but it gives him an opportunity to become a leader in that clubhouse and really establish himself to lead the the White Sox to whatever's coming to them. You know, they've, they've set themselves up nicely as an organization to compete, not just this year, but over years to come. What really impressed me the most, and this is a newer stat that just really recently started talking about over the last few years, which is framing and just overall defense defense behind the at the plate. So I'm going to talk about his FRAA, which is his fielding runs above average. So what that means is how many runs he saves him being on the field as a defensive presence. So he has a 20.1 fielded runs above average compared to all their catchers. So he pretty much he's worth 20 runs saved. If that makes sense. If you think about war, you talk about wins above average. These are runs of above average. He is second in the league next to Austin Hedges, are Austin Hedges. But at the end of the day, dude's awesome. I like him. He's a former Padre. He's a former Dodger. He went to the Brewers, had a great season with the Brewers, and he earned a contract that he got. I think it was three years, 20, 29 million, something like that. I don't yeah. have that exact number, but he earned a nice little contract for himself, and it might be the last. It might be the last one for him, you know, but he's he set himself up nicely and he's gonna be in a good spot over the next over the next few years and he put himself in a really nice position to compete for a World Series in the White Sox organization. So he's my number two. I actually don't have Yasmani on my list. He's actually kind of my X factor, if you will. And 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 it could be just because I'm biased to Yasmani. Being a Dodger fan, obviously he played for the Padres and the Dodgers. I watched Yasmani be Yasmani. And what I mean by that is Yasmani's biggest downfall is he does not hit for average by no means. His career, career best season batting average was 247. Two. 47. That means less than a quarter of the time he gets up. <laughs> you get where I'm going with that? So, I, but absolutely, his defensive skills is there. And, and, and I think that's, that's the fun part about this conversation between me and you is that I see catchers in a different light than you do. And I, and I think it's just because that's just who we are, I guess. You know, I, I Yasmani, I loved him as a Dodger. I didn't have any problems with him as a Dodger. I liked him, you know, being able to produce uh, home runs, being able to hit with power. You know, it's fun to see from a catcher's position. But for me, the the point that hit me hard was he was terrible in the postseason. Horrific. 
I mean, we're looking at it. He even got benched at one point. 2018 NLDS, he batted 0. .077. NLCS, 0. .182. World Series, he batted 2.200. So he batted 200, but he was so horrible in the World Series, they've only, they only gave him five at-bats. So that means he got one out of the five. I mean, obviously, if you don't give a guy a chance to hit, he's not going to hit. But that just shows you what he was doing then. And and the problem that I have is the guy they replaced him for wasn't Will Smith. It was Austin Barnes, who, mind you, they went out when Yasmani left. They went out and got Russell Martin. And they decided Austin Barnes wasn't good enough. And they sent him down, and they kept the rookie up, Will Smith. So that just kind of tells you, for me, where I'm at with him. But he absolutely played his cards right, and I'll give him that. You know, he signed the one-year deal to play for uh, Milwaukee, and he had a great year. He batting average, like I said, 246, which isn't nothing to be proud of. But he did have career numbers in home runs, career numbers in RBIs, and career numbers in runs and even hits. So. The reality is he had a career year, and he got paid justifiably for it. What he does in Chicago is going to be interesting to see just because they had a catcher. Like, you know, we talked about some of these teams. They have a catcher already. He knows how to play first. Abreu was over there at first. So we don't know exactly what the game plan is there. You know, maybe he could do some DH, but they went ahead and picked up Yonder. I think they picked him up the same year Manny went to San Diego. And I think with that, they kind of thought, let's go out and get Yonder because Yonder is actually the brother-in-law of Manny. And I think they kind of thought maybe we could get Machado this way if we would go ahead and do this. And it didn't work, you know. I don't know if Yonder is even worth the contract he signed. I mean, that's another conversation for another day. But it is going to be interesting to see what Yadamani produces, what he could do. But I think what he did number-wise this year is kind of, in relevance to what he's been doing. I mean, 2018 Dodgers, he had 24 jacks. 2017 Dodgers, he had 22 jacks. Defense has always been there. Batting average has always struggled. That's just odds. And I think he's gotten to a point, and I think the league's gotten to a point to say, you know what, I'll take the defense over the hitting. And, you know, that's kind of the niche of where we think catcher should be is exactly, I think, where your opinion is at. Um with that, you know, just the fact that I think you do love the catching, the defensive catching, the the ability to kind of process the starting pitching rotation and help in any way and framing. Those are all huge, you know, significant parts of being a, a, a catcher. Yeah, man. I mean, like I said, I think for me, the best catcher in the MLB defensive-wise is Austin Hedges. And that's not me being prideful because I'm a Padre and I want to have some sort of Padre on my list. And he's not on my list. He's not on my top no, five at all. No, he is. No, it's it's absolutely a biased opinion that you love Austin <laughs> But if if he just hit 240, 236, 240 with what he brings on the table on the back end, he would absolutely be on this list. He'd probably take right. he'd take on that number two spot because he at that point he'd be comparable to Yasmani, right? And with a, with a way better club, so he'd be the number two spot in my opinion. But he's not. Yasmani is. And I'm okay with Yasmani on my list as number two. I'm confident. And like I said, it's a difference in opinions. But I think with a lot of metrics coming up with, you know, framing, 
fielding runs above average, these new stats that are measuring people in a very different way, a different, very different level, I think is really cool. If you haven't seen Foolish Baseball, do you follow Foolish Baseball at all? On YouTube, we talked about it. We, we talked did. about it. I subscribed to them. I checked out, I think, one video on them so far, but I haven't gotten into detail with what you know what they got on there. Totally, it's super good, and, and he breaks down Jeff Mathis on a on a very intricate level. It's really fun the way he does it, but he falls in that category. And the defensive side of catchers and the way we evaluate people, I think, is is changing, and the mindset's changing, and and somebody can be worth a lot more on the defensive side because we look at WAR and just say, yeah, you wins above replacement. But if you take if you just take the defensive side, those runs that the, those wins that they bring to the table on the defensive side might be might outweigh the batting and the overall. So, so with that being being said, you know, my number two kind of takes the reverse effect of what your number two was. With my list, I went with Mitch Garver at number two. To be honest, I had no idea who this guy was until about maybe three quarters of the season. Um, and for those of you who don't know, Mitch Garver is the catcher for the Minnesota Twins. The Minnesota, I'm not sure if maybe you were living under a rock, but Joe Maurer is not there anymore. They moved on. You know, Joe Maurer was such a staple in Minnesota for so long. You know, it's, it's almost uh, it's the same, you know, for a long time saying, who's Tom Brady's backup? You know, it's the kind of same thing we're dealing there, you know, with the Twins. So Mitch Garver, he's 29 years old. He had an absolute breakout career season for himself. His war was 4.1, which is second best into the season. 273 batting average, 31 home runs, 70 runs, 67 RBIs. 3-3-3 on base percentage. And the crazy part is he only played 93 games this season. 93. That is 10, 11 more games than half a season. So just kind of put that into context. So, yes, this is one of those guys where I told you I like the guy who hits bombs, and this is the guy. He hits bombs. Now, the difficult part and the weird part is he, he – Worked on some defensive, um, he's working on some defensive skills. That's the major flaw with Garver is his defensive framing, his arm, they're par, maybe a little bit above par. You know, they went with a guy by the name of Jason Castro, these other handful of games that he wasn't behind the plate. Jason Castro, I believe, signed with the Angels this offseason. So the only guy they have there now as the backup is Williams Acevedo. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. I know there was that uh, funny gift for a long time of that little chubby boy running from second all the way home, and he was running kind of fast. That's Williams Acevedo. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, La Tortuga. So it is going to be interesting. Yeah, there you go. La Tortuga. (laughs) It is going to be interesting to see if Mitch could replicate what he had. And and just to go into a little bit of stats here, he had 311 at-bats in 2019. 2018, he had 302, so it wasn't very far off the amount of bats. His hits, he had 85 this past season, 81 the season before. But the major factor here is he went from seven home runs in 2018, and he jumped that number to 31. Now, we talk about launch angel angles. We talk about... I think that's a huge stat cast that a lot of people talk nowadays, and there's guys that really don't even go into it. 
Max Muncy is one of those guys that goes into launch angles. He absolutely changed his career from when Oakland released him to when the Dodgers picked him up and the guy hits bombs. He's gone back-to-back seasons, 30-plus home runs. I like the guy. My dad loves that guy. And it just shows you that these stats are, are, are this, this information that people are taking as launch angles are a legit thing. You know, there's, we talked about starting pitchers that throw 100 miles per hour. The guys that could throw 100 miles per hour just means the faster it comes in, the faster it goes out. You know, we're, we're coming into a season where they've talked about juiced up balls. I haven't gone into detail with information like that, but to know that a guy could play 93 games and hit 31 jacks and basically lift his home run stats by 24 is a huge factor. You know, trying to see whether this guy would have played three quarters of a season, let alone maybe a full season, what he could have produced. Um, he did have some games that he missed with some injuries. They were hip injuries, which for a catcher, that's not a great sign sometimes. But it is going to be fun to see if he could get his defensive skills a little bit better. Mitch Garver had a great year, career year. Him as well, and as well as Christian Vasquez are on this list just because I want them. You know, I want to see them do what they could do. I want to see it again. You know, I, I don't think we ever want to come in like, ah, I can't stand that guy. You know, there's a handful of players out there that, you know, I do can't stand and I don't wish that they have career years. But these guys that come up out of nowhere and have these great seasons, you know, you do want to be that fan behind the door that, hey, man, I'm rooting for you. You know, hopefully you can get better. Hopefully we can see it again. You know, it is fun to see guys that, have breakout seasons, you know, obviously going into potential arbitration years, potential contract years, getting contracts. We talked about Yaz. Yaz took a one-year deal, had a career year, and he got paid. You know, Hinjin Rio did the same thing. He took the qualifying offer the Dodgers offered him this past season. He had a career year, and he got signed in Toronto. Maybe that's not the place he wanted to be, but he got the contract that he wanted, I believe. He got the best offer available, and he took it. It took him all the way to Toronto. But it is fun to see these guys take chances on themselves. You know, a lot of teams take chances, and it bites them in the butt. But it is fun to see players take chances on themselves and say, you know what, I could do this. I'm going to take the one-year deal for whatever it's worth, and I'm going to prove to you, to myself, to my team, that I could be that guy, that I could play, that I could play the career best and get paid for it. You know, going into contracts and all that stuff, yeah, it is a little bit absurd. Some of these guys are coming in and getting paid $25, $30 million a season, which is a lot of money. You know, they talked about Mike Trout's deal. And not saying Mike Trout's not deserving to be the highest paid player, but I think they came out that like every 10 seconds, the guy makes like 11 grand or some ridiculous number like that. And, and, that's the baseball we're in. You know, it's it's a little bit of complex situation just because the more money these guys get paid, the more money us fans are going to have to start paying to get there. You know, us fans are going to have to start paying to go see a game. I remember going to watch games with my dad back in the day, and we'd go for like 10 bucks. You know, nowadays we find a ticket for 30 bucks, and we're like, that's a great deal. Let's take it, you know, and – I think that's just the new normal for us, you know, this this transition of what baseball is turning into and position players and home run stats and, you know, ballooned home runs, ballooned RBIs and, and less batting average. So it's it's a little bit different, but I like I said, I think it's going to be the new normal of what what the game is changing into. Does that make sense? Yeah, man. Uh, I think the new normal is a, a good way to put it. And, and unfortunately, like 
I, I don't know what's gonna when it's gonna when it's just gonna be normal, right? This is we're considering this a new normal. There's so many changes happening within the MLB. Talk about juice baseballs. There's a lot of rumors about changing up the playoff format. A lot of rumors about you know there's a pitch clock now. There's a you know, three three batter minimum if you're a reliever a reliever, right? There's just a lot. I don't know when it's gonna stop. I don't think there was anything wrong with the game as, as it was, but that's a different conversation. So we'll we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll have a conversation about that. But yeah, there's just a lot, a lot of different, a lot of changes happening, and and at least within the players and what they can put up, or, or what's normal for them to put up, and what's above average, what's below average. I think we are kind of hitting a new normal right now within that. My number one catcher that that I went with. This is going to be a surprise for anybody. I think J J T Ramuto is my number one. I was looking at him when I think about JT, JT Ramuto, I think about the bat. And when I really started digging into who this guy was and, and what he brings to the table, I realized like he's not a slub, dude. The guy defensively is pretty awesome. He won gold glove for the National League catchers last year. He's won the first for the first time ever MLB did, did this all MLB team one and team two, and he made team one for 2019. He got some votes for the MVP. I don't know, man. The guy's just the guy's just good. So here's his slash line: two seventy five batting average, three twenty eight on base percentage, four ninety three slugging with an eight twenty OPS. So not the highest in OPS, but definitely the second highest out of all the catchers on my list. The dude just had an awesome year. Uh, when I look back and, and look at some of the some of the statistics on here, so he had a four forty six point seven percent caught stealing rate. So he was number one, not just in the National League, but all of MLB. Runners, that people that tried to run on him, he caught them almost 50% of the time, which is insane. So out of the catcher, we talk about this. It's always exciting to see somebody getting thrown out at first or second. This guy is going to give you that excitement more often than not. And on top of that, like I said, he's won a gold glove, silver slugger. He's got a lot of MVP votes. And when I think about his framing, so we talk about these new stats, right? So just to throw this one out there, we talk about that FRAA, fielded runs above average, so runs saved. He had a 19.5 FRAA. So when he's on the field, he'll save you close to 20 runs per season just for him being on the field. So I think for me, that was a huge one, a huge separate for me. So not only do you get the bat, the consistency with the bat, but now you're really starting to dig into these Mets defensive metrics that we didn't have in the past. And it really starts painting a better picture of who the who catchers are. And for me, he's the most overall well-rounded catcher in the MLB. You consider the defense, the offense, and just what, what's the word? The, the prestige that he has had with all the awards that he's won in his career so far. And he's still relatively young. He's going to do really well. and He's going to have a long career. And I think he's going to go down as if he can keep it this keep it going this way, he's going to go down as one of the best catchers of all time. He's going to be in that conversation. Yeah, you know what? I um I remember they were talking about JT a couple seasons ago when when Miami had Stanton, Yellick, <laughs> Ozuna. Uh, JT was on that team too. I to be honest, I never bought into him. I never really looked into him as being one of those top five guys. I never really thought he would be in the position that he's in. And he's absolutely my number one on this list as well. I mean, what's not to like about him, really? His defense is there. 
he's probably, I want to say, the fastest catcher in the league. Or he's got by far top three best speed from a catching position. And and the reason why I say that is because, I mean, JT's batted the highest in this Philly lineup, number two. The lowest in this Philly lineup, number five. That tells you of what they think of how he could get on base, what he could do to produce runs. Guys had 92 runs scored, which is the highest of all catchers. 83 RBIs, which, think about it. He was either in that number two or the number five slot. And still being able to produce, you know, those RBIs, even at a number two, I don't have a breakdown by how many games he played at, you know, he was slot in the number two, three, four, or five. But to know the fluctuation that he still was able to score runs and still had the RBIs. So JT is absolutely probably the best catcher in the game. He's coming into a season where he's going to want a contract. We've talked about, you know, they, they talked about his arbitration and the money that he's going to get as an arbitration. I don't, I don't see him in Philly, you know, after this season. I think for JT, it's going to be whoever gives him the most money. That's where he's going to go. He's 29 years old. He's going to be coming into this season. He's going to turn 30. So whatever he's able to produce, actually, sorry, take that back. He just turned 29. So coming into next season, his contract year, he's going to be 30. So I'm I'm sure whatever contract he gets, he's going to want to get it for as long as he could get it and the most secured money he could get, seeing the fact that this is probably going to be his only time he's going to get a contract. You know, we talked about in and we didn't talk about this, but I remember talking to this, you know, with my dad. I, the reason why I love baseball, I love stats, I love information was because of the conversations me and my dad would have about baseball. But I remember when Manny and, and, and Harper were free agents, I would tell my dad this crazy story. Like, think about it. Those guys are 26 years old. They sign a three year deal for 30 million apiece. They could be free agents again at 29. They could be free, you know what I'm saying? And obviously that didn't go the way I said it. They signed these fat contracts for long term, which is great. You know, like like I said, guys are going to want to get as much money as they can for as long as they can. And who's not going to blame them? You know, who's not going to blame them for taking the fattest deal? But JT, I don't see him. Like I said, I don't see him returning back to Philly. But he's such in a great lineup. You know, having Harper, the um, – <laughs> the tough part for me is Harper doesn't hit for average. I think he's probably one of the most overrated players in baseball, but he does create a presence. That's one thing about him is that he creates this Bryce Harper presence, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? <laughs> but, um, yeah, man, he's he, in that lineup. He's hard to, he's a, like on a, off the field. I hear nothing but good things about the dude. Great family man, great with the community, but on the field, like he's so aggressively rough around the edges, and, and you have he to. He comes off like a jerk. Yeah, and I actually kind of like that. I, I like I I personally love the fact that he just comes up and he's just like, "Yo, dude, this is me." Yeah, I'm gonna get up there. I'm gonna think that I'm gonna hit a home run every single time, and even when even if I get struck out, I'm still gonna walk off with this moxie that I'm still the I'm still better than. You. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But, you know, being in that lineup, you know, they went out and they got Didi. You know, Girardi's there. This is going to be his first season. So it is, it's, 
it's going to be interesting to see what we get out of Philly. That that NL East is going to be fun to watch. I think you know Pittsburgh always has those times where they just look like they could catch fire and then they just kind of fizzle out. And I and I absolutely think that's going to happen again. We talked about Atlanta's rotation, you know, with the addition of Felix and those guys that are coming back. You know, Soroka almost won Rookie of the Year if it wasn't for Pete Alonso basically hitting everything out of the park. He probably would have won. So looking at the pitching staff that Atlanta has, looking at the power hitters that Philadelphia has, and Nationals, you know, coming off the season they're coming off, it's going to be fun to watch the competition that's in the NL East. You know, it's it's going to be fun to watch JT and what he could do. Like I said, going this is going to be his contract year for him. He had career numbers, the best year, the best numbers he's ever had in his whole you know career. And it just kind of it, it speaks dividends to the talent that you put around JT. You know, you you slot him in a lineup with big power hitter like Rice Hoskins and and those type of guys that are in that lineup. You know, like I said with Harper, and the guy produced. The guy showed that he could score runs. He could hit. You know, two seventy five batting averages is no slump. You know, for a catcher that is a great batting average. I mean, like you said, we have guys on this list that came in at two forty, two fifty. And the guy batted 275, which I believe is the new normal for a good batting average. So JT Real Muto is number one on my list. He's number one in your list. And for the people listening at home, he should be number one on their list too. Um, with that being said, do you want to go into the surprise of the guy who's not on our list? Or do you want to go on your X factors of who you felt should have been on this list? They just weren't there yet. Oh, man. I think the surprise guy that's not on the list for anybody, I think, is Gary Sanchez. Is that is that your surprise guy too? I I, I would have to agree, right? I mean, yeah, I know a lot Gary of people Sanchez. are in love with him. I just he showed what his issues were, and that's the fact that he cannot hit for average. He can, yes, he had 34 home runs, which is his career year in regards to home runs. He had 77 RBIs, which in 2017, he had 90, but he only had 92 hits across 396 at-bats. He batted 235, or 232, sorry, on base percentage, 316, OPS, 841. And the only reason why his OPS was that high is just the simple fact that he had 34 home runs. I mean, outside right. of that, it's the same issue New York has. It's all or nothing. Either I strike out or I hit a bomb. Yeah, man. Uh, for me, when I was funny that you said the surprise person that's not on this list. I actually thought he'd probably end up on your list because what our initial conversation was that you're like, I like catchers that can hit. But I, I knew he wasn't going to be on my list. Hit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I think that's I think that's the biggest misconception with the Gary Sanchez, right? Everyone looks at Gary Sanchez and they see these home runs, and they see these clutch hits, and 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 that's great. You know, the clutch hits and the, and the long ball is awesome. The, I mean, Riliski, what he has going for him is that he can hit home runs at a fairly consistent level. I mean, the dude's committed the most er- most errors last year in the American League as a catcher. He's fifth in caught stealing percent, so he's okay back there. He's fifth. He catches people at, at a rate of 38%. <laughs> in 2018, he was first in pass, pass balls. In 2017, he was first in pass balls. So, he, yeah, he's a, he's a, 
he's just not 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 great. So, but he, I mean, he hits. He hits like I said, he hits home runs at a high rate. So Gary Sanchez for me, he had to be off this list because one of the big factor for me was like you had to be a defensive presence, and he's obviously not one. And then looking at his batting statistics, home runs are there. That's about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's exactly why he's not on my list either. Is just you know he's even. I mean, fantasy has him number two on that list. You know, going back to that list, you know, you that their fantasy list. The one that I saw was JT number one, Sanchez number two, Yaz number three, Wilson Contreras number four, and they had Mitch at five, Salvador Perez at six. So the yeah. X factor there was Christian Vasquez wasn't on the fantasy list, just like, you know, we talked about Roberto Perez wasn't on the fantasy list, just because I think a lot of people believe they're not going to be able to replicate what they did. And like we said, you know, I hope they do. I hope they prove people wrong. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm their fan, you know, regardless if I'm a true Dodger fan from top to bottom, you know, I want to see that guy that can go out there and do great and continue and just, you know, performing at an elite level something that's not expected. You know, being able to prove people wrong is such a great feeling, I think. Yeah, and then uh, catchers I'm excited to see. One, Austin Hedges. Best catcher, defensive catcher in the league. That's what I really waited the most at when I was ranking my catchers. He is the best catcher defensively in the MLB. But just has, cannot hit, I think you said it last, you know, last week, but hey, if you, if you fell off a boat, he'll never hit water. But I did see some progression this offseason during spring training. I saw the workouts that he was doing at home. He's working towards it, but that's always been the that that's always been the storyline going into the season that he's been working on it, been working on it, and things are gonna change. Uh, another person I'm really excited to see is Francisco Mejia. So it's actually on the complete opposite end. The dude is known for his baseball bat. He can hit, he can hit for average, he can hit for power, but just this really rough behind the plate. So the platoon between Austin Hedges and Francisco Mejia, to me, is perfect. I think there's a world where both of these guys can be successful and both of these guys can be equal to one amazing catcher. And one more person I'm excited to see that I want to talk about, and this is I'm going to leave this guy more up to you and get kind of have your opinion on it, but I'm excited about Will Smith. One, he's young. He came up last uh, second half of last season, had a lot of poise, but just went on the rampage. And... You know, defensively he made some mistakes, but at the same time, was it horrible? He's young, and anytime you have somebody that comes up young, that comes in, is young, and makes an impact on a team like the Dodgers, to me, is somebody worth to be excited for. Am I excited that he's gonna? He's just another weapon that the Dodgers have have against us. No, but am I excited to see the player? Absolutely. Yeah, Will Smith. I didn't. I didn't have him on my list, and. And I think the reason being is because it's funny going back a season. We looked at Dodgers prospect. They had a guy by the name of Kybert Ruiz. Kybert Ruiz hit the guy could rake, but the issue with Kybert was his defensive skills behind the plate were very suspect. His framing was just bad. Everything about him defensively was horrible. And what was funny is number five on that list you know, before the season started, was Will Smith. And Will Smith was almost the exact opposite. The guy could hit. I mean, the guy couldn't hit, 
but his defense was great. His defensive skills was great. He had great footwork for a catcher. He's shown this past season he played some games at second. He played some games at third. It just shows you what kind of defensive player Will Smith is. He has a great arm, but what makes his defense better in regards to his arm is his feet work. He's able to release that ball because he positions himself in a position to get a guy out rather than just rely solely on my arm. I mean, we've seen Salvi has done that, the the famous Benito Santiago move where he guns guys out on his knees. You know, it's, 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 an, it's a common thing that we see now. But Benito was the first guy who who did it. I mean, he would never get up and throw. He would literally sit on his knees and gun a guy out. And we see it now, and it's it's a cool thing to see. Sorry, uh, yeah, Will Smith kind of reminds me of a young Buster Posey body like yeah. frame, right? Yes, yeah. That that when I think about him and I saw him play, I'm like, this is literally Buster Posey's like young little brother. You know, if you, like just <laughs> the way they run, the way they just. Their presence and it's just a young reminds me of like a rookie Buster Posey. So I'm excited to see Will Smith, man. I'm excited to see what comes of him. Maybe he's, I mean, who knows? He's your guy's catcher of of the future, at least for this decade. We'll see. That's why I'm excited. Right. That's why for me, he was the next actor. I'm just excited to see what he can do this season and season moving forward. Okay, so just to recap, so I had Salvador Perez, had Roberto Perez at number four, had Christian Vasquez at number number three. And he has Mani Grandal at number two, and number one, JT Ramut. I'm pretty confident with my list. I think that's a solid top five to look at when you think about catchers. So to recap, we had Wilson Contreras at number five, Christian Vasquez at number four, Salvi Perez at three, Mitch Garver at two, and JT Ramuto at one. So we had some similarities, at same, some big similarities and some big differences, but I think it was overall, this is why we're doing this, right? Get some good conversation, get the juices flowing. We don't have baseball. This is the closest thing we have right now. I'm excited. Next time around, when we get together, we're going to do the first baseman. This is going to be a fun one. A lot of power, a lot, a lot of defense, arguably a mix of both, and maybe some stronger than others. Typically, the first, first base position is known for the power bats and it's going to be a good conversation to have. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm, I'm <laughs> to be honest, I'm already getting nervous about what that list is going to consist of. Cause I already have so many first basemen that I absolutely like that play in the league. And I'm just like being able to rank those guys is going to be hard to do in my mind. It's just something that I'm going to have to kind of dissect and go into detail with, you know, who I believe is on this list who I think is the best first baseman. I, To be honest, if you asked me who's the best first baseman in your mind right now, I wouldn't be able to give you a direct answer. I just – I really didn't. If you asked me about catcher, I would have been able to give you that name right away. Right away, JT Romuto. First baseman, I can't do it. Yeah, same. Um, honestly, when I think about like, yeah, best first baseman, Adam Dunn. Big donkey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just, I just miss that guy, man. That guy – he strikes out more no more home runs than singles. I think he was the first player ever to do that. To hit more home runs than singles in a single season. That, that's a crazy stat to me. That's what we yeah. have. That's the first baseman. That's anyway. Uh, it's a fun. It's a fun position to talk about because it's just a lot of X factors and a lot of a lot a lot of nuances within the first base position. So I'm excited, guys. Let's get into it next week, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Daniel, thanks again. Don't forget, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Subscribe, whichever way you go, whichever way you listen. 
Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at OMFG. It's J-A-V. Catch me on Instagram at RealDC25. RealDC25. You know, send us a message. Let us know what you think. You know, what? whether we hit the same list you have at home, whether you think there's someone that we completely missed who you think should be in this list, who you think is that guy that we should be looking out for him. Like I said, you know, we do these just because we're fans of the game, you know. We all we all have our direct teams that we're in love with, that we like, that we follow. But it is fun catching players. It is fun getting to know other guys and their capabilities and what they can do and what they can perform. Yeah, man. So go ahead and follow Daniel at Real DC Twenty Five. Love you guys. See you guys next week.